CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 23 The Democratic Emergency Autocratic Side Effects of a Pandemic The COVID-19 pandemic has been a significant weakening not only of human health but also of democratic processes and the functioning of state institutions. State of emergency has been misused in certain countries to make changes, the nature of which conflicts with the upholding of the rule of law and the functioning of checks and balances in a democratic environment. How is it possible to reverse these developments of accumulation of power and the creation of structural non-pluralism? Taking the example of Hungary, this episode focuses on how the Hungarian government used the pretext of health threat to implement the ideology-based policy of the ruling party Fidesz. Daniel Martinek discusses with Zsuzsánavek the autocratic side effect of the COVID-19 pandemic and how to cure them. Zsuzsánavek is a research fellow at the European University Fadrina in Frankfurt and an associated researcher at the European Council on Foreign Relations focusing on, amongst others, Hungarian EU and foreign policy as well as democratization and regional cooperation in Central Europe. I'm very happy to speak today with Zsuzsana Beck. Zsuzsana, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. If you allow me, before we jump into the discussion on such a complex issues as democracy, democratic processes, rule of law, and so on, and the effects of the pandemic on these, I would like to mention one quote by the former Czech president, Václav Havel. The natural disadvantage of democracy is that it strongly binds the hands of those who mean it honestly, while it allows almost everything to those who do not take it seriously. End of quotation. I think it's quite a great statement about the, not probably only current, but about the state of democracy in general. And I think also it represents a nice starting point for our today's discussion. My very first question on you would be, has the COVID-19 pandemic affected democracy and democratic processes in the countries of Central and Eastern Europe, as this represents the target region of the IDM Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe? I would say yes. Uh, definitely we can see an effect of the pandemic or of legislation taken under the pandemic um, that affected democracy. Um, I would say that um, the effects are bigger in Central and Eastern Europe than they would be in Western Europe. But overall, when we look at the quality of democracy during the pandemic, Europe as a whole still fared the best in, in a global comparison. But generally, what we see on the global level also applies to Europe uh, and also particularly to our region. So globally, we can observe that authoritarian and hybrid regimes were more likely to adopt measures that pose a challenge or maybe even a direct threat to uh, democratic principles and institutions uh, than democratic ones. And the most concerning developments have taken place in those countries 
that have already faced some form of uh, democratic erosion before the pandemic, democratic backsliding, um, affecting the institutions. So we see that also in the region of Central and Eastern Europe. The biggest effect of the pandemic uh, on the quality of democracy can be detected in countries like Hungary, Bulgaria, to a little bit lesser extent, but still visibly Poland and outside of the EU also in countries like Serbia and in the immediate uh, vicinity of the region. Could you maybe shed more light on what exactly happened? Because you said that there were already developments before the pandemic, but what did we actually observe during the pandemic? What was the weakening of the democratic processes or which democratic pillars has been weakened? We should also address in the post-COVID times. Well, given the nature of this crisis, that we are dealing with a pandemic, some of the areas that were most affected concerned uh, civic liberties, namely freedom of movement, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, and to a certain degree, uh, restrictions on such freedoms in such a situation are justified, of course. As long as they are temporary and proportional, they should indeed be taken to overcome the pandemic as such. However, we have also observed restrictions on freedom of expression, media freedom, very often access to uh, information of public interest, which are highly problematic. Why are they problematic? When we look at this crisis, you very often see that various measures, restrictions were introduced under some form of a state of emergency. This means that in such a context, the executive's power is enhanced while the control functions of um, the legislative, the parliament, are limited. So this gives ground to executive aggrandizement and reduces oversight. So in such a situation, freedom of expression, media freedom, access to information are particularly important to ensure that there is still a check on the executive, but also that there is accurate and truthful information available for the citizens. And very often we could see, and Globsec had a very interesting survey on this, that during the pandemic, trust towards media actually grew, whereas it shrank towards state authorities and governments. So in this context, restricting media freedoms and uh, access to uh, information, freedom of expression is particularly problematic. And these have to be watched and followed how they develop after the pandemic. That's really interesting. You already mentioned these uh, common future features of this, you know, let's say, democratic retreat during the pandemic. If we uh, take a look on Central Europe as your main area of your scientific interest, For example, if we take a look on Hungary, which you are actually dealing in depth with, how the Hungarian government managed the crisis or is trying to manage the crisis from a democratic point of view? Has been there Because I remember there has been some controversy over some laws that were passed during the pandemic uh, related, as you mentioned already, to the role of parliament, related to the protection of rights of minorities, etc. Could you elaborate a little bit more on this? Um, 
if you look at Central Europe, we see that already there has been some democratic backsliding uh, across the region, but most extensively in Hungary. And during the pandemic, this backsliding, the starting point of the various countries also influenced how um, they developed further uh, during the pandemic and how the various governments acted in such a situation. So across the region, there were not only similarities, there were, of course, differences as well. In the case of Hungary, indeed, there were several controversial uh, measures introduced, including those that signal executive aggrandizement and to a certain degree also the abuse of uh, emergency powers. So at the start of the pandemic in March 2020, the government declared the state of danger, which is a specific legal under the Hungarian constitution or fundamental law, and also adopted, initiated, and in, with its two-third majority in the parliament, adopted the so-called authorization or enablement act that essentially gave unlimited power to the government to rule by decree, as long as the government can justify that the decree is connected with dealing with the pandemic, and it adopted it without a sunset clause, that is, without a termination date. Now, the practice showed that the government did extensively use these powers uh, to rule by decree, but not only in matters that were related to the pandemic. Several decrees had nothing to do with the pandemic, nonetheless were adopted in this framework. Such examples were, for example, the creation of a special economic zone in an opposition-led city that had a large foreign company. And by declaring this zone, uh, revenues of a local municipality were transferred to a higher level that was led by Fidesz majority. Such measures have nothing to do with the pandemic. There were also limitations on the freedom of expression through the amendment of the penal code that introduced a specific provision about spreading false information under uh, a state of emergency that could result in prison sentence. Now, this had the chilling effect on journalists uh, and on civil society and limited their access to sources. There were further controversial issues like cutting taxes and redirecting funds from local municipalities to the state level and therefore seriously endangering the liquidity of uh, local government. But uh, also in this context, with uh, restrictions on the freedom of assembly in place, the government also pursued its normal policy program. And among those highly controversial ideological issues, for example, the limitations of rights of sexual minorities, both in 2020 and also in 2021, with the introduction of a ban on changing one's gender in legal documents affecting a trans community, introducing to the fundamental law that uh, a family is man and woman, and therefore excluding rainbow families from the understanding of family. But also this year with the adoption of uh, an anti-pedophile law that last minute received a series of amendments that had a very blatant homophobic tone and therefore 
merging or blurring the lines between pedophilia and homosexuality and uh, stigmatizing uh, a sexual minority. So this, however, was adopted in Parliament, but under circumstances where there was very limited opportunity to express dissent publicly. And uh, this was obviously not a unique case to Hungary. We, we see such examples uh, in the region elsewhere as well. Thank you very much. If I may follow just on the last comment you've made, I wanted to ask you if we heard that this uh, introduced state of emergency in Hungary was actually abused in, in so many ways. Uh, did someone challenge this step of the Hungarian government from juristical point of view? Do you think it will have actually any real consequences once the pandemic is over and once maybe the the, um, the contamination of the COVID-19 virus will start to become the central point of discussions? The very state of danger and the authorization act that was adopted in 2020 was eventually withdrawn. It received massive international and domestic criticism. And from the end of 2020, the government, after reannouncing the state of danger, put in place similar authorization acts, but always with a sunset clause. So uh, we see a change in that, but we also see that the Authorization for the extension of governmental decrees validity continues to be prolonged without any issue by the parliamentary majority. So the state of danger is also in place at the moment. And until the 1st of January, the authorization for the governmental decrees to remain valid is also extended. That's one thing. There was some consequence in how Certain things were formulated because of the criticism, but in practice, in content, there is no change. There were some cases where specific practices and decrees were challenged. The practice of uh, limiting access to publicly relevant information, which in itself was based on a decree that allowed for the extension of uh, providing the data requested to journalist citizens by state authorities. The practice was based on such a decree, but this was clearly abused in a variety of uh, situations. And in the beginning of 2021, the Constitutional Court in Hungary actually declared that when state authorities request or decide on using the possibility of extending the deadline uh, to provide information, they cannot just refer to the decree, they actually have to provide a justification. Nonetheless, the practice has not really changed since then either. And there was, for example, the case I mentioned regarding the creation of a a special economic zone. In in this case, this was also challenged um, that it has nothing to do with the pandemic. It may actually be unconstitutional. And in one case, the constitutional court dismissed the challenge and in the other case uh, it found that the practice is not unconstitutional. So in this regard I do not really see direct consequences when the decrees or or the executive power granted by uh, the state of danger is being abused. You already referred to this issue that actually the pandemic 
has in a certain extent nothing to do with the measures that were taken so that we can see that the pandemic or other supported developments that existed already in, the, in those countries uh, before the pandemic, at least in case of Hungary. What do you think, and you also already mentioned that all these measures goes or went in line with the policy of the current Hungarian uh, government, that they went in line you know, with the ideological point of view of the current ruling party. What should be done to reverse these developments? Is there a need for different political direction for the country, which we may expect in case of Hungary with the parliamentary elections taking place this year? Yeah, so we have certainly seen uh, a series of developments in Hungary that undermine uh, democratic processes and democratic institutions, not only during the pandemic, but as you also said, that the pandemic years are the continuation of previous processes. Um, how to reverse these developments, what to do to reverse these developments, I think under the current ruling parties, we cannot really expect the reversal of uh, this trend. A few electoral cycles back, there were still theories that if Fidesz wins again, it will moderate. We have seen that it hasn't. So moderation under the Fidesz government is an illusion. At this point, I would say that the elections next year will be crucial to see which direction the country can go. However, even in the case of an opposition victory, the opposition coalition will not have a smooth ride in reversing any of these developments. Uh, why is that? Primarily because the, the consolidation of democratic institutions is so pervasive that the system would require a complete overhaul. Moreover, several crucial institutions that would function as checks For example, the courts by now, uh, prosecutors' offices, the media authority, even the electoral office are all run or all headed by loyalists of the Fidesz government. And they are nominated and are holding the positions uh, for periods that exceed certain electoral cycles. So they will be in position even in a situation if the current governing parties lose the election. So it will be very hard for uh, an opposition coalition to tackle this institutional capture in the country. So in short, nonetheless, I would say that a government change is necessary in Hungary to reverse the development that the country has gone through over the past. Thank you very much. Maybe I would uh, follow also on this. And if you are saying that the victory of the opposition in the upcoming uh, parliamentary elections uh, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, this this landscape, political landscape, or the functioning and these processes within the within the country uh, and within the state institutions is not probably going to change in in the way um, the opposition would wish how we can actually uh, tackle this this accumulation of power or this yeah already structure non-pluralism if we are speaking here that the parameter elections are not going or the victory of the opposition is not going to be enough for that should we just simply to wait once these terms of offices run out or how would you see this this issue Well, I think this is exactly the situation that uh, you 
laid out in the beginning uh, with the quote of Václav Havel, that the hands of those who respect the process are bound. But nonetheless, there are also various channels. I think the, um, the international institutions, organizations also play a crucial role. Also, there are the international courts, the European Court of Justice that can play a role. The European Commission potentially using the rule of law mechanism in the case of Hungary, potentially also in the case of Poland, also can have an influence. So one needs to use all the available tools and uh, measures that exist. And these include those of uh, the European Union. By joining the EU, Hungary also signed up for a certain set of values and principles and should be kept accountable, not only by its own citizens, but also by the EU institutions to adhere to these. So these can be additional channels and additional tools of influence uh, in the case of the country. Juliana, many thanks for this insightful um, discussion. I'm very much happy that you provided us a broader picture of the current situation when it comes to the, these democratic emergencies in, in our target region. But also thank uh, many thanks for your in-depth contribution on the situation in Hungary. Um, I'm very happy that we can conclude this episode by saying that there are definitely ways how to get out and how to bring back the proper functioning of uh, state institutions, proper democratic processes of check and balances and yeah, how to reverse these, uh, yeah, we can say autocratic developments in our region. I would like to ask you at the very end of our episode, we established a nice tradition of asking our guests about uh, their piece of art, literature, etc. They are associating with the discussed topic. So I would like to ask you, what do you associate with democracy, with rule of law, uh, with functioning of state institutions? Well, actually, when I was thinking of it, I was approaching the question from a little bit different angle, and I was trying to think what I can uh, associate with uh, the pandemic times. And uh, when thinking of it, I am thinking through the topic itself, trying to reconstruct the past almost two years, this picture of uh, Salvador Dali, the persistence of memory, came to mind with the four melting clocks. Like how hard it is by now to just think back and really identify what took place when over the past two years and time has really been melting and has become relative. But if I may link this to rule of law and democratic standards, that is certainly not what should happen to our democratic standards. They should not suffer the same fate. Thank you very much, Jana. We shouldn't melt our values, our democratic approaches down. That's definitely a nice conclusion for our today's episode. Once again, thank you for joining us today and I wish you all the best for your future. Thank you very much. Take care. So you enjoyed this podcast? Then tune into another CEE episode and subscribe to the IDM podcast series on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Acast, or elsewhere you get your podcast. And also, 
have a look at the rest of our work on our website www.idm.at For any feedback or podcast collaboration, feel free to contact me at e.honteberry at idm.at The email is in the description below. This was CEE, Central Europe Explained, a podcast series produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe, powered by Erste Group. With the ongoing participation of Daniela Paiden, Marvin Atalik, Daniel Martinek and Sebastian Schaeffer. Production and editing, Emma Hunterberry. Proofreading, Jack Gill. IDM Podcast. Institut für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and Expertise since 1953.